welcome back to another episode of What the HR, an award-winning podcast. I'm Jesse Novi. And I'm Mike Toole. The What the HR podcast explores how to build people-centric businesses through modern practices and approaches. New episodes are released frequently, so don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any episodes. Welcome back to another episode of What the HR. Today, we're joined by Christina Fusella, who is a purpose-driven transformational commercial leader with deep expertise in market access, brand marketing, commercial strategy, analytics, and insights across the pharmaceutical sector. Beyond her primary role at Norvo Nordisk, Christina was selected to champion female empowerment as a co-leader of the Women in Novo Nordisk Employee Resource Group. Her prior co-leadership of the NNI Millennials Employee Resource Group contributed to Norvo Nordisk's recognition as one of the best places to work for millennials in 2019. Complementing her professional achievements, Christina graduated from Columbia University with a Bachelor's of Science degree in Engineering and Operations Research. So as you can see, Christina, um, Christina's background and, and expertise and education isn't Um, as similar as some of the other guests that we've had on the podcast, given that she doesn't currently work in HR or come from a formal HR background. But I think that it's really helpful to have folks on the podcast that come with different experiences and expertise and can shine kind of a different lens on topics that are still very relative to HR. So I'm I'm really hopeful that you are going to enjoy this discussion as much as we did. The topic today is on Um, nonlinear career paths and why having nonlinear career paths is not only really critical for employees who have career aspirations to maybe move um, more horizontally versus vertically or have interest in getting experience in different functions or sectors that can ultimately not only enhance their career, but also help provide a lot of value to an organization. Additionally, on the same topic, how employers can be thinking more broadly about career paths and how to create these nonlinear or what Christina liked to call um, jungle gym, which I liked I liked her, her verbiage for that. These jungle gym career paths or opportunities for their employees. So we, um, in this discussion, we really take this from both lens lenses of how an employer can help make this happen for their employees who have interest within their organization, but also how employees can be advocates for themselves and some things that they can think about as they're navigating a nonlinear career. So as always, if you're loving our podcast episodes and guests, please do us a huge favor. Head on over to your favorite podcast platform, leave us a rating and a review. The combination of both of those things really help to ensure that our episodes are getting out to other HR and business professionals that could benefit from our great guests and great topics. So thanks again for being a listener of the What the HR podcast. We so appreciate you and we hope that you enjoy this episode. Well, hi, Christina. Welcome to the What the HR podcast. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah, absolutely. So can you share with our guests just a little bit about yourself and your background? And then I'll kick us off with our topic for today. Sure thing. So 
So hi, everyone. My name is Christina Fusella. Um, I work at Novo Nordisk, a pharmaceutical company known in diabetes and obesity. I'm currently the Senior Director of Strategic Planning Executive Support, which is a very long title to say that I'm the Chief of Staff to our executive who runs strategy and rare disease. Um, I have a background in pharmaceuticals and consulting and a personal background in engineering, so I'm a big nerd at heart. I'm really excited to, to talk to this crowd. Yeah, well, and it's fun, too, because we typically um, have guests that come from HR or have an HR background, so it's always nice to have guests with a diversity of experience and backgrounds um, because everyone brings a different perspective to the table. So excited to have you here today. The topic that we're going to um, touch upon is nonlinear career paths, which we've we've talked about career progression and um, performance management and career coaching and mentoring, but we haven't specifically talked about the importance of nonlinear career paths. So I think this is going to be a topic that'll be well received by our listeners. But I always, um, or I, I, I never like to assume that people know, you know, sometimes it, the specific verbiage that we use. So can you share how you would describe what a nonlinear career path is or looks sure like? Thing. Sure thing. So to me, a simple picture that you can have in your mind of a nonlinear career path is like a jungle gym. Um, sometimes you enter your career, sometimes you, you know, move laterally, sometimes you're moving up, sometimes you're taking a step down to go back up again. Um, so it's a little bit of that jungle gym. And to me, what's important here, it's all about building a breadth of experience um, to make sure that you become a well-rounded employee or leader uh, in whatever personal and professional goals that you have. And why do you feel, this will be kind of a two-pronged question, why do you feel that's important for employers, but also important for employees to consider? Yeah. So for employers, um, when you think about no matter what industry you are in, the complexity of business and the pace of business is always increasing. And this idea of needing leaders and people in your organization to be able to manage that change and manage the pace and be able to make really great decisions on the spot and sometimes with imperfect information. So to me, when I think about um, a breadth of experience, I think we want to develop people who are much more enterprise leaders who are for example, didn't grow in one single vertical and have one facet of expertise, but be able to draw on a wide toolbox of experiences um, to be able to tackle any complex situation or make a complex decision. So for employers, I think it's critically important um, to have leaders who are much more enterprise, who have a wide breadth of experience. Um, for employees, I think it makes you a much more effective uh, person in whatever scope of responsibility that you have. And it, when you think about what roles are going to be important in the future, no one can predict what's going to be the most important role five or 10 years from now. Uh, and so having a wide toolbox and a, a strong set of skills that are most likely going to be able to be transferable skills is really going to be helpful. Yeah. And I also think that it is helpful from an employee perspective too, because some organizations, ones that I've been a part of in the past, it feels as though there's been this pressure to move up, you know, and if you're not on an upward trajectory, then perhaps you're not as valuable in our organization or 
maybe you are looked at as lazy or comfortable being stagnant in your in your role. And that's not necessarily the case for a lot of people. Just because you don't aspire to be in leadership or manage, maybe you don't have a, a passion for managing, coaching, and developing people, but you've got this incredible ability to um, learn new skills quickly, learn new industries or verticals quickly. Um, you can be, to your point, Christina, um, incredibly valuable to the organization that you um, belong to, as long as that organization is open-minded in terms of how career paths can be supported within their organization. So I think that's great. Absolutely. So I, I have a couple of questions because this is really interesting to me. I think about a few things from the employer side, but also the employee side. So from the employee side, I I think, at least for me personally, the idea of my current role being getting a little stale and wanting to go do something else is is very real. I think there's a lot, but from a barrier of entry, you know, it's kind of like, okay, I've built my career. Maybe you're five, 10 years into your career and you're kind of sitting in this position and going to do something else is, it's, it seems like a great idea, but from a compensation perspective or to your point of like feeling like you're stepping back, I think that's what stops people from doing it sometimes. Are there, have, have you seen that for one? And then also, are there any recommendations and, and maybe it could be just projects that people pick up, not necessarily a full, you know, role change, but like how can people overcome some of those barriers to branch out and actually go through this nonlinear career path? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot to unpack there. From an employee standpoint, I can completely um, relate to the fact of not wanting to take two to three steps back because I'm trying to broaden my tools, my toolkit. And that's not the point. And to Jess's point, you know, just because an employee doesn't want to aspire to senior leadership and they're not growing upwards doesn't mean that they're not developing. And also just because someone is spending time developing at a certain level doesn't mean that they don't aspire to senior leadership either. So it's important for organizations to be really open-minded about how we grow talent and groom talent for the future. So from an employee standpoint, my recommendation if someone is looking to broaden their experience into a different type of role, a different type of department, definitely, um, you know, definitely have a conversation first. And for me, the critical point is understand what your North Star is. What is your career goal at the end of the day? Why do you want to broaden? Is it just because of your board? Because I don't think that's a great enough reason. I, I think having a really clear um, way to articulate what is it that you're going after? Why are you seeking certain skills? That That is really critical. For me personally, I can share that, you know, for me, my goal is I want to be a well-rounded commercial business leader in the future. So when the organization sees me pursuing a role in a seemingly disjointed commercial function, I have a really clear explanation and I think it, it right. resonates with people. For organizations, I really encourage to take a look at what kind of barriers they may be unintentionally putting up for employees looking to, to move into different roles. So for example, if there's a role open in a marketing department, and what does your job requirement say? Does it say you're looking for someone who has 
10 years of experience in specifically marketing and specifically that one function, because then that's not really encouraging talent with a diverse set of experiences to apply. And that's automatically kind of um, removing that pack from the talent pool. So I really encourage hiring managers and organization to be intentional about looking for transferable skills to be sure that we're not um, being really exclusive to people. Yeah, well, that's a good point, because I, I also think of that as an employer, you may be thinking, hey, this role we want to fill, it's a critical role, like every role is critical. Like, so we want somebody who has that experience. And the fact that we're putting somebody in that maybe has transferable skills, but no experience, and there's going to be a learning curve, I imagine there's, there's just a little bit of pause when it comes to that. And so the question there, and, and then you can, I mean, add any color on it you want, but whose responsibility is it? And it's probably both. But like when you think of these nonlinear career paths, is it are the employees the ones that have to raise their hand and say, hey, I want to do this? Or should the employer be the one saying, hey, we're willing to bring somebody into these roles that doesn't have the background that normally would be on a application um, or you know a job requisition? Like who who should own it? Yeah, and you're right. It's absolutely both. And it should absolutely have ownership on the employer as well. Uh, I don't believe things should be pushed onto the employee's shoulders. And that's because that's a very heavy weight for them to bear and impossible. So from an employer standpoint, it's it's asking yourself, how much are you willing to invest in your talent today, knowing that there's going to be a strong ROI on that investment? If someone, if you're okay with putting someone in a role that they may not have any functional expertise in, but they bring a lot of transferable skills, a lot of leadership experience, perhaps, look at what team surrounds them. If that's a team that has, if every person who reports that person has the functional experience, they have depth of experience, then why do you need someone necessarily who also has the depth of ex- depth of experience? Excuse me. I think it would spark a lot more innovation and creativity and business value if you bring in someone who's asking questions with a little bit of a naive lens um, and and kind of sparking some innovation in that space. So let's let's tease that apart a little bit because I think that's probably like the meatiest part of this conversation is the employee's role and the employer's role. And I agree with both of you that it truly is a partnership, but I also am kind of inclined to be like a little bit more of the weight sits on the employer because if the employer has this very narrow-minded view of what it's what is expected and moving laterally or vertically through the organization, then no matter how much the employee kind of pitches their ideas or skills or their interests, they're likely not going to get very far. So there's been um, kind of a a fad. Hopefully it's not a fad. Hopefully it's here to stay on some organizations focusing on skill building. You know, what are the skills that are actually required to perform this job minus education, industry experience, so on and so forth. So would would you agree, Christina, that that's maybe kind of the first first stop along along this journey is employers doing a better job of identifying the actual skills needed to be successful in a role. And then also maybe I'll pile on top of that to say like potential, knowing that there will be a little bit of a gap because the employee is taking maybe what one would call a stretch assignment to move into this role. And so there needs to be a little bit of coaching and development, but because the 
hiring manager has maybe consulted with other leaders, the employee's manager, and seen potential in this individual that they're willing to say, all right, there is a gap, but we're committed to helping that employee work on that gap. Absolutely. Um, and I also encourage when 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 companies look at these skill gaps and uh, and focus on skill building, I also want to encourage companies to think about behavioral skills too, not just those hard, tangible skills. You know, can this person use Excel or PowerPoint or you know some of the tools that they may use in their job? It's and I think those things can always be learned on on the job. But I think these behavioral skills. Um, if an employee is raising their hand to take on a role that requires a huge learning curve, that demonstration of courage in itself is extremely valuable. It's really hard to quantify, but that shows an immense potential in that talent to be able to take on future leaps of responsibility. So I think also keeping an eye on the um, behavioral skills, what type of ways of working does the employer want to instill in the organization? Do you want an organization, people who are just making safe bets all the time? Or do we want people who are willing to dare to make clear choices, dare to be a little bit bold and push the envelope? Uh, I think that also has quite an effect on the value of that organization. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Sorry, really quick. Just I'm curious on, Christine, what you've seen in terms of retention you know, I, I know that you've probably done some of this within your own organization, but have you seen anything out there that suggests that nonlinear paths lead to more retention? The reason I think of that is, especially around leadership roles, oftentimes, right, you have kind of your frontline managers, and then every role above that gets harder and harder to get. And the person that takes it normally stays a little bit longer in each of those roles. So I see a lot of people leave organizations because, you know, maybe they're on a leadership career path but there's just not enough opportunities. And so if organizations would think of, hey, maybe since there's no opportunity here, there may be one in a different area. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if you've seen nonlinear career paths lead to higher retention and overall better like employee morale. Definitely the better employee morale. Um, so I also work a lot with our employee resource groups, and one of the groups I led was um, the group around emerging talent and how can the organization partner and focus on emerging talent. And I would say the number one reason that I've seen people leave the organization from that emerging talent population is because they felt like they weren't being invested in and there were no opportunities from their company. And I think when we think about opportunities, it's a little bit um, single-minded to think about just sitting in a seat of leadership and having a specific job title. I think it's also, yes, there's a fixed number of titles that are, you know, companies a pyramid. There's a fixed number of senior leadership right. titles. And that's that's the reality of it. But I think leadership and giving opportunities to people to lead something or to own something or, or run a really important strategic project um, and leadership, to your point, Michael, uh, in a different function. I think those are all different ways that people can feel like they are being invested in. Like, ah, yes, the company does see that I have potential and I know that I am an emerging talent. I know I'm a talent that my company wants to invest in and to retain and keep. I think that is critical for retention, to your point. 
kind of last thing on that, and Jess, I know I, I don't want to like completely change topics, but when we when when you talk about that, how structured do you think this has to be? Um, because oftentimes I think the hard part is is for people that maybe have been passed up on opportunities and, and maybe they're they're in these ERGs and you know the company says they care about them, but over but ultimately like I want to know what's at the end of this if I'm an employee, right? If I'm going to go out and I'm going to develop these skills and maybe spend extra time learning different areas of the business, I, I do want to know that there is an end zone right at the end of the field. So I'm I'm curious just like the structure that needs to be in place if it's you know looser, it has to be kind of very rigid and you got to make sure that when somebody raises their hand to do this, they have to have some sort of an outcome. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say rigid per se, but I would say absolutely an intentional structure. One, I would encourage something looser, like a culture of development and growth for the company and having that growth mindset across the company. It's a great culture, but there would be great benefit to having something a lot more intentional um, and structured. So I'll, I'll give an example. For example, through our employee resource groups uh, at Nova Norisk, there, I think ERGs in general in the industry sometimes can be seen a bit as social clubs, but really mm. there's quite a lot of value of people stepping up and leading and being part of a core team of an ERG. Um, you learn skills like leading without formal authority, creating a vision and motivating a diverse team around you to to activate on something. And then you present to executives to garner the resources that you need. These are real tangible skills for people. And one of the things I've partnered with our HR organization on is how do we more intentionally embed the ERGs in some of our talent management processes? So does the ERG make an imprint onto our process that we call succession planning, where we look at critical roles in the organization and figure out who are the successors for that role, short-term and long-term? And this can appear as when we think about the future leaders that we need in this organization um, and this idea of diverse enterprise leaders, having some type of ERG leader experience can only make that person stronger. And we can go as so far as to say that may almost be a requirement to be um, a future leader because you need that strong diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging background mm -hmm. or, or some mm -hmm. sort of background in there. So I think ensuring that there is some way not to over engineer it but to embed it very formally into your into your core process not as like a an extra an add-on because it's not like a bonus that we're just helping this special group of people develop it is part of the usual talent managed processes in your company and that is very critical yeah and you talked about kind of the the building skills i'm, I'm just curious like, how do you incentivize it? Obviously, it'd be great if everybody there just said, hey, I just want to build new skills. And um, but I also have my own job. H has there been any is there has anybody ever like paid for skill building? And I'm curious. And I mean, I'd be kind of asking both of you because I don't know the answer to this. But like when you think about whether it's internal projects that you could pick up, is there any like we, we, the data economy is obviously in, in full effect but like can you create that within your own culture where it's say incentivizing people to actually go out and build these skills versus just hoping they want to it's a great question i think from my standpoint jess i'd be really curious to hear what you have to say too from what i've seen in our organization 
we have created something called the vision of the future people leader. And that gives people a blueprint if they do aspire to leadership, what to look at. And it's all about this idea of enterprise leadership and having a wide breadth of experience for those people who don't aspire to future leadership. uh, And that's fine. It's about talking about the future of the organization and the skills needed to be successful in the future of that organization, which is going to be much more complex. So to me, you can tell people an idea of where things are going. And I think there is a place for everybody in the future, I think, for those who really want to do one thing and be great at that one thing. And that's also fine. I think there's ways to build behavioral skills of how do you be a little bit more innovative, push the envelope a little bit in that one thing that you want to do. And that's great. And I think for others who want to add value to organizations and want to be seen as a high potential talent, I think just telling them this is the this is where things are headed. And to me, that's very helpful to ensure we communicate that to people and communicate that to people early on in their careers, too, so they can be very conscious about it. Yeah, I, I think those were good examples. And the way that I've seen it show up as well is, you know, if they're like a very specific example is I was a part of a very large organizational transformation that required a lot of people to be involved and to lead certain work streams that were involved in this massive org structure. And so there was an opportunity to tap some folks on the shoulder to say, hey, you know, in addition to your full-time job, so it's not like you can, it's not like one or the other. It's like, hey, you still, we still have expectations of you in your current role, but we would like you to hold a seat within this project team and you would be responsible for X, Y, and Z, whether it was leading the team, whether it was contributing to the team. So it was it was a little bit like gig work um, in addition to your full-time job. And then, so Mike, your question was like paying. That was the initial question. I've never seen it where somebody gets paid you know, an additional salary on top of what they're already getting paid within their organization. So it's like, you're still getting paid what you get paid. But we as the organization are helping to contribute to building your resume, building your skills. It's also us saying that we are um, we are uh, committed to your development here at the organization. You might be a high potential employee. You might be somebody that we see a lot of potential in and we want to stay committed to from an engagement perspective. And then to build upon Christina's examples, I've seen it show up with leading of employee resource groups, um, in addition to DEI and B activities, oftentimes there's opportunities to do sponsorship of employees or coaching and mentoring of employees in certain demographics. Um, so that kind of allows people to move into leadership opportunities if they don't currently wear a leadership hat today. So I so we've talked a lot about the um, the employer's commitment and what the employer could do, but I'd like to turn it over to the employee and maybe give our listeners some suggestions for what an employee could do to be an advocate for themselves, um, what ways in which they can maybe educate an uneducated leader on how valuable it might be, you know, to consider them for a linear opportunity, um, skills that they could start, you know, working on if their employer isn't maybe as, as great of a partner or isn't as innovative in this space as other organizations. 
Yeah, absolutely. And a, a lot of it will depend on the company culture and the organizational culture that the employee is in. And I would say just as a start, when when you're exploring a nonlinear career path, it's really important to keep in mind that this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So it's a long term. Uh, it's a long term game. So this is the idea of when you think about if you're going to take a lateral um, role or a lateral project or, or anything like that, you're doing this in the in the mindset where it's going to help you get further and strengthen your career trajectory in the end. So if you're in an organization that won't support that, um, that's really challenging. And I would challenge you to think about if that's the organization that you want to stay in and and develop and, and grow in, because that's going to be hard no matter what. But if you're an organization that really supports your development, really invests in you, then that's a different story. If you have a, a conversation with your manager, I think it's all about understanding how whatever opportunity is going to help in your career for the long term. So again, I go back to having a very strong North Star. What is your personal and professional goal? Think about that five to 10 year outlook for yourself. What does that look like? And then you can start working backwards from there. And if that manager is a good manager, they should really be helping you and help you think through what are the steps that will help you achieve that five to 10 year goal. And the other thing that I know what we do as a, in our organization is 20% of everybody's time should be spent on development. It's really 80% of your time is in the day-to-day -day business and what you're responsible for. But 20% of your time, that's at least one day a week that you could spend you know, on that extra project, on something else that really makes you a stronger employee in the 80% when you're there. Yeah, I wonder how much of this also lands on the middle middle management as well. I mean, I think about people in the past that have maybe wanted to transition into different different roles. And I mean, as, as a leader, you don't want to lose that person, right? You're kind of like, you're responsible for that team. And I never see middle managers or, you know, even just above kind of working together to say, hey, who do you have on your team that could potentially be interested in, in this team over here? Like, have you seen have you seen it work within that middle management and has it led to better results? Yeah, it's a great question because I think a disproportionate amount of, of the burden is put on the, the middle managers um, because they're managing the teams day to day and they're responsible for delivering right. at the team, right? So what I've seen and what I could say is that the best middle midline managers have the uh, constant mindset around a revolving door of talent. And the more that they're seen to be able to help people move and grow on their career journey, the more people actually want to join their teams. So it's kind of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy where if you're willing to invest the time and the effort on helping your people grow to where they want to grow, other people will see that in the organization and they'll and you'll be that manager that attracts a lot of talent, a lot of really bright talent to your team. Everybody wants to go to the the leader's team who they see that leader is invested in their people and listens to their people and wants to genuinely help their people go where they they need to go. Yeah. Yeah, it really has to be company wide. I mean, because in order for that frontline yeah. manager to be able to to be that type of person their boss and their boss has to be okay with 
a potential lapse in results, for, you know, because if somebody turns over, moves on to a different role, like it, it really does have to go all the way up, I would imagine. Yeah, it does. And it also goes to having a principle where it's okay to have a very diverse team and maybe some people on the team not having direct experience doing that area of responsibility and knowing yeah. that the fact that you have a diverse team with maybe experts in each of their own areas makes you a stronger team combined versus having just individuals be really great at, at one thing and all the same thing. Yeah. And then before we kind of start wrapping things up and closing them out, there was a question that Mike, you had you had asked Christina before we started recording just to regarding compensation and how to not let compensation get in the way of mm -hmm. making this happen. And, you know, I think we should talk a little bit about that because I think that's a pretty I think that's a pretty like obvious concern that employees and employers would think about. And, you know, I'm happy to shed a little bit of light too, in addition, Christina, to whatever you add, just in terms of my experience on um, the kind of comp side of the HR house in terms of creating levels within job families to allow that fluidity to exist um, where you can kind of create this career lattice or what you referenced as a like a jungle gym. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I also welcome that insight, Jess, when you get there. But from an employee standpoint, I, I want to be clear, like I'm not advocating for people to take five steps back just for the sake of getting broader experience. I don't think that's realistic of an ask of people and doesn't also respect the amount of experience that each individual has built over the, the years that they've um, had their career. So to me, when you think about the jungle gym career, again, always be really clear of what you're asking for. Me personally, I've made several lateral leaps in my career and I've never had, I've been very open about where I am financially and where I need to be to support my family. Um, and, and I think if you're really clear about that, make sure you advocate for yourself um, around that. So, but I will also encourage being open to more lateral opportunities or even taking a step back if the compensation is able to work in your favor. Because Again, the idea is to make sure you have a stronger career trajectory. There's always something that comes out of it. It's, you know, sometimes in the jungle gym, you step down to get even further coming out of it. So the idea is always to be growing in your career. And in my opinion, that doesn't mean at all that you should be um, having to sacrifice significant, significantly on your compensation um, or anything, especially if you're responsible for, you know, things for your family and things like that. Yeah, I think those are all great uh, contributions to the question. And I would just pile on to what Christina shared to to state that it's really important if you, if mo most of our listeners are HR folks. So if you are in HR, that you are working with your comp team to create levels and grades if they don't exist already, because these levels and grades really levels more specifically than grades help influence where your roles fall from a compensation perspective. And so it allows um, employees and managers and us folks in HR to be able to visually explain to an employee how they can um, take advantage of a career lattice or jungle gym approach to their career 
without having to necessarily take a step back from a compensation perspective. But to Christina's point, there may be some points throughout your career where you're not necessarily taking a step back from a compensation perspective, but you're also not receiving huge increases because to Christina's point, you're taking time to build these skills, which is then going to you know, launch you hopefully into the role that you aspire to be in long-term that might likely have larger compensation, whether it come from a base salary increase or a bonus, or maybe a combination of both. So Mm -hmm. keep those in mind and, and be influential too, um, with your leader. If you feel strongly from a compensation perspective, maybe there are unique things that they could do, like adding on a spot bonus at the end of the year for taking on this new challenge or contributing to the company in a different way. You know, there there are oftentimes behind the scenes, if you're willing to ask the question and be an advocate for yourself, where the company can get creative from a compensation perspective. Well, Christina, share with our listeners, if you will, and where they can connect with you if they want to talk more about these topics. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a really, you can find me just on LinkedIn. I'm Christina Fusella. Um, I work at Novo Nordisk and feel free to, to follow me there. Great. Well, thanks again for being a guest. It was a pleasure having you today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.